A key message that Paul communicates in this first chapter is that we must live and must love out of a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. If we stop living with a clear conscience, we are likely to destroy our faith. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 17:20. Uh, we'll just get ready to make our declaration this morning. Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 17 and verse 20 a very important uh, principle about faith and how we uh, release our faith in God. Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus is teaching us how to use our faith. He said, if you have faith, you will speak. You will say. And you speak to a mountain. You speak to anything that's a hindrance, an obstacle in your life. You speak to it. If you have faith, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. Okay, so a very important aspect about faith and about exercising faith is that you need to speak your faith. You need to declare it. You need to speak it. What you believe in your heart, you speak it with your mouth. Right? So you speak. Speak to your mountain. So what, whatever that mountain is, with some sort of a sickness, a disease, a situation, learn to speak to your mountain. Speak your faith to the mountain. And Jesus said, that mountain will move. Let's rise up to our feet right now as, we're going to ma- as we make our declaration this morning. If you brought your Bible... Hold it high high up in the air. Please say this out loud, bold, and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious. Prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting today, we're going to spend some time in Paul's first epistle to Timothy. Let's just begin first with a little background to this. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to a man named Timothy, who, whom he has appointed as a bishop or overseer, or if you want to say you could also call him a pastor, but really he's more than that pastoral role. He's actually an overseer of a bishop over, over the church in Ephesus. So Paul has appointed Timothy there, and uh, he's away from Timothy now, and he's writing this letter, 1 Timothy, and he also writes 2 Timothy later on, uh, giving instructions to this young man who is uh, in a place of spiritual responsibility. But let's get a little bit of background to this whole thing. You know, how, how, what, what were the things that led up to this? How did Paul and Timothy, how did their relationship actually begin? So Paul the Apostle, I'm not giving his background, but 
uh, somewhere in around AD 44, began his first missionary journey. So Paul was part of the church in Antioch. Antioch is part of modern-day Syria. And uh, Paul, that was Paul's home church. Uh, and so he began his first missionary journey from Antioch. And he travels through part of the district of Galatia, the region of Galatia, uh, which, of course, today is part of modern-day Turkey. All of that is part of modern-day Turkey. Turkey has been in the news for all, all sorts of reasons. Uh, but we'll go back to history. So Paul was in Gal going through Galatia. In that region of Galatia were three cities that were very close to each other, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So Paul preached on his first missionary journey in those cities, preached the gospel, and so on. Then he then journeyed back to Antioch. Actually, his second missionary journey, which Paul began in AD 49 through AD 52. And on a second missionary journey, he goes back through these same cities. And at that time, when he comes to, to Lystra and, and Derby, he comes through Derby and Lystra, close, the cities that are very close to each other, he finds a young man named Timothy. Of course, Timothy must have been converted or brought to faith in Christ in his earlier missionary visit there. So now he finds Timothy, who at that time is about 17 years of age. And so Paul says, Timothy, you come be a part of my ministry team. So Paul and Silas are traveling together and they take Timothy along from Lystra and Derby. They pick him up. He's part of that journey. And so begins his long association with the Apostle Paul. So Timothy from then on ha travels with Paul wherever he goes and you know, various parts of Asia, all into Europe preaching the gospel, starting churches, and so on. Uh, during his second missionary journey, Paul comes to the seacoast town of Ephesus. And you see on the west coast of Turkey, you will find Ephesus. So Paul spends a little brief time there in Ephesus on his second missionary journey. Uh, and then he goes back uh, to Antioch. But on his third missionary journey which happens uh, between AD 53 to AD 58, the Apostle Paul spends three years in Ephesus. So that's a lot of time in that one city, which he normally doesn't do. But while he's there in Ephesus, a lot of important things take place. Paul, uh, of course, that city, Ephesus itself, has a, a powerful uh, presentation of the gospel. The miracles take place. Supernatural things take place. Uh, people see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. People who are demon-possessed are, uh, are delivered. And there's a big shift of people in that city who are once practicing witchcraft and all kinds of things. They move to faith in Christ. But in the, the city of Ephesus originally was a worshiper of the goddess Diana. They believed that this goddess, you know, dropped out of heaven and from their city. And so they're worshiping this goddess Diana. So what happens is as Paul spends his time, a lot of people are brought to faith in Christ. There, there is a particular goldsmith whose business goes down now because people are no longer buying what he is making. So you see this, the, the picture there, the theater in Acts 19. You read about this in Acts 19. So there's a great commotion caused. They, you know, they apprehend Paul's uh, team members. They bring them into this theater. There's a huge commotion caused there. And uh, basically they drive them all out of Ephesus uh, towards that end of that three-year period. They all, you know, they have to leave. But before that, in this three-year period, a strong church has already been established in Ephesus. Not only that, during this time, Paul has also trained several young people. 
next generation of young people. Timothy, of course, has been part of the team. He's one of them, Titus, and several others. He's already trained them over a three-year period. Many of them have gone and established churches in the vicinity of Ephesus. So in Revelation chapters 2, 3, and 4, you will read about the seven churches. One of them is Ephesus, but then there are six others, all close to Ephesus. Most likely established by the people Paul trained in Ephesus during this three-year period. Are you with me? Yeah? So, so a, a major work has been established. So Ephesus as a church uh, not only has a strong congregation there, but is also like a mother church to these other churches in that region. A very important church now. So Paul and his team were forced to leave Ephesus. They were chased out. And so, you know, they... they uh, Paul from Ephesus, which is a sea po- uh, on the west coast of Turkey, he moves across the Aegean Sea into the eastern part of Europe. So he travels through that region known as Macedonia. He travels there. He goes through major cities like Corinth and Athens, uh, fin- finishes his work. Then he comes back across the Aegean Sea into Turkey, uh, close to Ephesus. And then he calls for the elders of that church from Ephesus. And he speaks to them, gives them counsel. And then he moves on from there. He goes on to Jerusalem. Now, once he reaches Jerusalem, he gets into trouble, uh, wrongfully accused him of things, and so he is held imprisoned for the next two years in Caesarea. Caesarea is uh, a seacoast town from uh, in Israel. He's imprisoned there for two years, uh, AD 58 to AD 60. He appeals to Caesar. So from there, he makes his journey all the way across the sea to Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome for another two years. Three years elapsed because of the time spent in the journey. He's imprisoned there. So time has gone by. Paul is a prisoner in Rome. Now, from Rome, he, is, he has a brief release, a brief period of release. So when he's released from Rome, what happens is the apostle Paul... Uh, so keep in mind, while he's in Rome, in prison in Rome, that's when he writes the epistles, what we refer to as the prison epistles. He writes to Colossians, Ephesians, Philip. And Philemon. He writes those four letters while he's in prison in Rome. He's released for a brief period of time from Rome. He travels back to the uh, to Asia where he was ministering, and then he appoints Timothy to be in charge of the church in Ephesus. So Timothy has been with Paul all along. He's been with him even while he was imprisoned in Rome. He's been there as a helper, you know, just supporting him. Uh, Paul did send him briefly on assignments here and there, but he comes back. And now Paul has taken Timothy. He says, I want you to be in Ephesus. By this time, Timothy is a fine young man, 34 years of age. He spent good 18 years, uh, 17 years, I think, or 18 years now working alongside Paul. He's been well trained. He's learned a lot from this great apostle. And he's saying, okay, Timothy, I want you to be in charge of this church in But it's not a small responsibility. Because remember, this church in Ephesus, first of all, it's a very powerful church. But it's also the mother church for several other churches in that region. So Timothy is put more into a position of a bishop, an overseer of many other elders, leaders, spiritually strong people. But he's only 34 years of age. So after doing that, Paul heads back across the agency into Macedonia on the way to Rome. And from Macedonia, he says, man, I got to write these letters to these two young people. So he writes letters. He writes 1 Timothy and he also writes Titus. 
And from Rome, he writes his last letter, that is 2 Timothy. And then in AD 68, he is beheaded. He is killed for his faith in Christ in Rome. So 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are like his final letters, the end of his ministry. And he's writing to young Timothy saying, Timothy, I need to tell you several things. I know you've been with me for 18 years, traveling, seen a lot, done a lot. But there are still things I want to reinforce. There are still things I need to bring your attention to as you fulfill this great responsibility of being a bishop, an overseer of the church uh, in Ephesus and the neighboring regions. So... Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter and then we'll quickly summarize some of the key points we see here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so he's, he's, he's just telling him, look, I put you there, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give he, heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. If there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, so let's just go through 
you know, portion by portion of this chapter and see what we can learn. Verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God. So Paul, an apostle, he identifies his calling. An apostle means a sent one. Somebody sent by God to, uh, as a pioneer, the word apostle carries the idea of being a pioneer, a forerunner, a frontrunner, somebody who paves the way for the advancement of God's kingdom. So he says, I'm an apostle. But notice what he says by, about his calling. He says, I'm an apostle by the commandment of God. Your calling is a command. It's not an option. Amen? What God has called each one of us to do is a command. It's like, boy, you better do this. <laughs> it's not something that God says, okay, if you like it, you know, please do it. If you don't mind, it's okay. <laughs> no. Paul, an apostle, by the commandment of God, the call of God on your life is a command to be obeyed. Obey it. Whatever God's called you to do, God has a call on each one of our lives. He's got an assignment that he wants you to fulfill here on earth. And we have to look at that assignment for our lives as a command from God. God has, uh, is, is issuing a command and he's also authorizing you to do what he's called you to do. And I see in verses 1 and 2 how he, 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 he talks about the different aspects of God and our Lord. He, he's talking about the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and of course, we know God the Holy Spirit. But he talks about God and he uses different titles. He says, God our Father, God our Savior, Jesus our hope, God our Father, Jesus our Lord. So these, so we must learn, and I just want to mention this in passing here, that we learn to recognize who God is. God, you are my Father. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my hope. You are my deliverer. You are my healer. You are my provider. You attest to all that God is to you. So he brings out some of that. And notice how he refers to Timothy. He says, a true son in the faith. But we need fathers. Or to be gender neutral, I mean to respect both sides. We need fathers and mothers. Amen? Spiritually. Because it's only fathers and mothers who raise up sons and daughters. I believe all of us can and should grow up to become fathers and mothers in the house of God. Amen? I know some of us may be still young in the faith, but don't stay young forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> You've got to grow up someday to become a father and a mother so that you can have sons and daughters. Meaning you can have people that you nurture and raise up in the faith. So he says, Timothy, you're a true son in the faith. And then he says there in verse 3, he says, you know, he's addressing the reason why he left Timothy in Ephesians. He says, verses 3 and 4. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesians that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. He says, Timothy, I left you there because I want you to protect God's people from people, others who are teaching wrong things. So important. We must make sure that God's people are taught the right things. Charge some that they teach no other 
doctrine doctrine means simply means teaching don't let god's people be given wrong kind of input so timothy i put you there to take care of god's people make sure that they receive the right kind of input the right kind of teaching i charge the charge some that they teach no other doctrine so what was happening was that in the in those regions especially in galatia and then it began to spread there was there was this a mix of jewish tradition and gnosticism that was being you know spread there uh, by people who began to come after paul and brought a lot of confusion in the minds of people so part of it was saying that you have to follow all of the jewish traditions and 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 you know respect all your genealogies and all of those things and fables which is man made stories causing forcing people to follow those kinds of things and and paul says no we don't want all those that we all this in the church guard the church charge some that they don't teach these wrong things fables man made stories endless genealogies only cause disputes they only cause quarreling and fighting among god's people so we don't want that but what do we want is we want godly edification in the faith god's people must receive the kind of input the kind of teaching which is godly which will build them up in their faith are you with me so that's the reason i left you there timothy to take care of god's people and make sure they get the right input uh, into their lives about 9 years prior to this 9 years prior to writing first timothy when paul was finishing up his third missionary journey and he came back close to ephesus and he called for the elders of the church from ephesus to meet with him at that time 9 years before he warned them acts 20 verses 28 to 32 9 years before paul warned the elders in ephesus he says therefore take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the holy spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of god which he has purchased with his own blood for i know this that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves therefore watch and remember that for 3 years i did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears so now brethren i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified can you imagine 9 years before he already told the elders guys you got to shepherd the flock of god take care of god's people because i know once i go away you're going to have all kinds of people start coming in with all uh, wrong things but you need to guard them and here's what i'm commending you i'm commending you to the word of god his word which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified so he warned them already and now he comes back he appoints timothy with that same assignment feed the flock of god shepherd them correctly so let's go forward verses 5 to 7 now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm notice verse 5 the purpose of the commandments so god's whole purpose of instruction to us is this love from a pure heart good conscience Okay, let's say it again. In case, even if you don't remember anything else I said this Sunday, this you must not forget. The purpose of the commandment is what? Love from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere. It says, look, this is ultimately the whole point that God wants us 
to walk in love. But this love must come from a pure heart. And there must be no evil intent in it. Now suppose I come to Richard and say, Hey Richard, man, I really love you, man. You're, you're my pro, man. <laughs> but in my heart, I say, Hmm, I need to get Richard to do something for me. <laughs> that love is not coming from a... It, the heart's got some other things inside. It's got some other motives there. So that love is not pure. But he says, God's command to us is love from a pure heart. Your hearts must be pure. There's no wrong motives. It's, it's pure love. So that's the purpose of the commandment. Love from a pure heart, from a good, good conscience, or you can also say clear conscience. You can only have a clear conscience when you are living right before God and before man. So what's a clear conscience? It's living right before God and man. Because if I'm not living right before God and before man, my conscience is going to tell me I am doing something wrong, even if all of that is hidden from people. So, you know, if uh, you've heard situations like this where, uh, you know, a preacher may come and preach all nice things, but back he's doing stuff, things that are wrong. So although... In appearance, things may be right. His conscience cannot be clear. Because you're not living right before God. Eh? So love must come from a pure heart and from a clear conscience. There's nothing, in, there's nothing in my, inside me that's telling me I'm doing something wrong. A clear conscience. So love must come from a pure heart and a clear conscience. And from genuine or sincere faith. Genuine faith. See, nowadays in, in, you know, in, in, in modern world, we have this whole thing. Maybe you have seen some books on it. Fake it and make it. <laughs> hey, just fake it, you'll make it. You know? But you can't do that with faith. You can't fake your faith. He says faith has to be sincere. Genuine. No pretense. Don't pretend faith. Faith has to be genuine. So he says the whole purpose of the commandment is just this. For you and me to walk in love, but that love must come from a pure heart, from a clear conscience, and from genuine, sincere, without pretense, faith in God. But then he says, somehow strayed away from this very basic thing. This is the core of what we are called to live and how we are called to live. This is the core. But some have deviated, some have strayed away, and they have, with some having strayed, have given themselves to, verse 6, to idle talk. They're just talking empty stuff. They're missing the very core thing of, you know, of, of, of the, our whole walk with God. This is the whole purpose of the commandment. They've gone away from this, and they're giving themselves to all kinds of idle talk. And they are, you know, they're teaching the law, which they don't understand, and others also don't understand. Wasting everybody's time. In other words, saying, like, hey, stay with the core. What is it? Love that comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere. Stay with that. Now, verses 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. If there is anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So now he says, okay, about the law, the law is a good thing. The law tells us what is right and what is wrong. And it is given for people who, who are, you know, who are going into the wrong thing so that they will know that they are missing what God wants off of their lives. 
right? So he says, okay, there is uh, the place for the Lord. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It tells us what's right and what's wrong. But I want to point out something here. All manner of sin, all manner of sin is contrary to sound doctrine. That is sound teaching. So any te good teaching will not condone any kind of sin. But I want to point out in verse 10. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, for fornicators, for sodomites. Now, if you just look at, you know, read the same thing from a more modern translation, a simple English, it simply means the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality. Now, I want to say this, that today in the Christian world, many preachers, unfortunately, even many preachers who have great influence, who have big ministries, big churches, sometimes even heads of you know, large Christian uh, movements or denominations. I started preaching and saying homosexuality is okay. It's just people born that way or, you know, they give all kinds of excuses. But I want us to know very clearly, right there, in one of, one of the places, verse 10 is one of the places, where the Apostle Paul says that sexual immorality and homosexuality is contrary to sound doctrine. And it is against the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's clear. No arguments on this. So it doesn't matter who stands up on which pulpit, in which church, which, which denomination. If they try to bring out teaching that, that says oh, homosexuality is okay. No, 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 no. This is contrary to sound. It is against the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now. We love the sinner. So it doesn't matter what kind of sin. You know, whether they are sexually immoral, whether they are homosexual, whatever, we love them. But we don't condone the sin. Our goal is to help them out of it to the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love everyone. We're not going to hold anything against people. We love them. But we have to say what's right and what's wrong. And Paul is very clear right here in, in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10. Let's pick up now in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's reflecting on his own ministry now. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So what is God looking for in order to release us into the ministry? Just one thing. He's looking for faithful people. God, God saw Paul. Here's a man who's faithful. Here's a man who's committed. Here's a man who will stick to his post. Here's a man who's sincere. I can count on him. And he says, God saw me faithfully put me into the ministry. Release me for his work. And then he recalls his former life. He says, although, verse 13, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, a very violent man, a persecutor, uh, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. So Paul at this stage is recalling, you know, once I was a persecutor. He was somebody who actually went and killed the Christians. He was totally against Christians. He was totally against Jesus Christ. And he got Christians killed. The first, first martyr, Stephen, of the Christian church was a man who was stoned uh, under the oversight of 
Paul, or at that time it was Saul. So he, he says, you know, this was the kind of man I was. I was a very violent man. But, thank God, for his abundant grace. God was so gracious to me, right? And then he says in verse 15, this is a true saying. It's worthy of all acceptance. Any, anyone and everyone must accept this. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why Jesus came. To save people like me. He says, and he says, of whom I am chief. Now this really amazes me. That here was Paul, the great apostle. Now after about 24 years of ministry. Having traveled so much. Established so many churches. Written so many letters. And he would still come back to that core message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. That's the core message. And he's reaffirming that towards the end of his days. This is all. This is what it, all, what it is all about. Jesus came into the world to save. And look, I'm the worst of them. The life that I lived. Now Paul says, I am chief. That means even towards the end of his days, he's not lost the joy of his salvation. You know, sometimes... In our journey with God, we, we have been Christians for a while and we forget the beauty, the joy of our salvation. How God brought us out of whatever we were in. And that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And how he saved me. How he rescued me. How he delivered me. Paul says, you know, now at this stage of his life, he does not forget that. That's amazing. And then he continues in verse 16. He says, you know, God did this so that he can set up an example in my life for all the others who are going to believe in Jesus. That they will know that no matter what they have done, no matter how wicked they may have been, God is abundant in his grace. And he is great in his long suffering. He is great in his patience towards us. So Paul says, you know what happened to me? It's just an example for many others to be encouraged by. If God could save someone like me, he can save anybody else. That's what Paul is saying. And then he breaks forth into praise. Verse 17. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be glory and honor forever and ever. He says, oh God, I just want to praise you. I just thank you. You are the immortal God, the invisible God, and it is to you all praise be given. Verse 18. This charge, or I'm, encourage, I'm encouraging you, Timothy. This charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So now he says, Timothy, I want to remind you of the prophecies that were spoken over your life. Take those prophecies. And with those prophecies, I want you to fight a good fight. Wage a good spiritual warfare. Now, I want us to understand. So we are a church. We believe in the gift of the Spirit. And we are open to it. And, and, and we desire for God to move by the Holy Spirit. And many of us... 
at different stages in our walk, may receive prophecies. Somebody may come and prophesy. And, I've, and of course, you've got to test it. Don't swallow everything. You test it and take what is good and throw out what is bad. But you test the prophecies. And, and then when you, when you know that God's spoken to you, what do you do with those prophecies? Don't just feel good. Huh? Somebody came and said something nice about me. No. Don't just write it and put it under your pillow. What are you supposed to do with those prophecies? You are supposed to take those prophecies and with them you're supposed to wage a good. You've got to fight. Right? Now we are not equating prophecies to the written word of God. The word of God is absolute truth. And the Bible says take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. So you use the word of God. But you use prophecies in a similar manner. You wage a good warfare with the prophecies that have been spoken over your life. I remember this was back in 1993. I was a student in the university there in New Jersey. I just moved into New Jersey. I was still a student. And I was at a very, very difficult point at that time. And uh, nobody really knew about my situation. I hadn't told people. But I got a call from uh, some friends who were in Tulsa, and, and they said they're running a two-week course, spiritual course there. Uh, they like me to attend. They like me to share what I'm doing and, and so on. And so I went to Tulsa. And uh, I never told anybody there what I was going through. I was in a very difficult point. But I remember that they had brought in a prophet, man of God, to speak in two sessions. I just met him before his session. We had tea together, tea and biscuits. And I just, you know, just, he asked me, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing? So I just told him three things. My name is this. And I'm, uh, in New, I, at that time I was in New Jersey. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a student. That's all he knew about me. So he began his session. He, first session he was talking. He was teaching about the prophetic. And uh, then he said, okay, towards the end of the session, I've got to demonstrate. Let me find a donkey, you know. <laughs> so he said, hey. God used a donkey to speak to a prophet, so he can also use a prophet to speak to a donkey. Then he came to me and he said, you're a good donkey. <laughs> I, I know he was just joking. So, but then he started speaking over my life and telling me the very things I was going through. Telling me the things that were in my heart. Things that God was about to do or was going to do in my future. And... Uh, and then uh, he went uh, later on, second session, again he came back and he prophesied some more. And uh, part of that prophecy is in our, uh, I've put it out in our book, Understand the Prophetic. Uh, so I've shared some of that. And, all of, and, and, and so when he did that, you know, he knew nothing. I didn't meet him before. And after his two sessions, he left, had lunch and left, and never met him since. But it was so powerful. It was right on. It was Things that are going on in my life and things that I was praying about for the future. He even prophesied that I'm going to come back to India. Nobody knew. I had been praying, said, God, I know I have to go back to Bangalore. I've got to start a church. I've got to minister. I've got to impact the nation. He prophesied all that. He never knew anything about my life. Right? So I knew this was a word from the Lord. So I took those prophecies and the next couple of weeks I waged warfare. Because I had to come out of that situation, the difficulty that I was going through. So I said, God, this is what you've spoken. You said through your servant, you said you will, you will open up the doors. You said you will do this. You said you will do I began to wage warfare with those 
prophecies. Now, I know I had the written word of God. Thank God for it. And I also was standing on the promises of the written word of God. I'm not, I'm not elevating prophecy above the written word. But when prophecies are given to us, they are not meant to be put under the pillow. They are meant for us to wage a good warfare. To fight it. Fight with it. Say, God, you said this. I'm declaring God has spoken this over my life. It will come to pass. And then I began to see things change. I began to see things unfold. And, and, and sure enough, I mean, it's been several decades now. And everything he spoke, or almost everything that he spoke, has come to pass. There are still things that are out in the future that will come to pass. But everything, as far as this timing is concerned, from 1993 to this moment, things have come to pass. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, I was standing there when prophecies were given over your life. What you've got to do is you've got to wage a good warfare. You've got to fight with those prophecies. Go before God. Speak it out against the devil and say this is what God has given. Last two verses. So now he's getting ready now here. Goes back. After he says that, he continues in verse 19. How you fight a good fight, but you've got to keep something here in your heart. What is, it? what is it? Having faith and a good conscience. Which some having rejected concerning the faith, having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Two important things. He says you fight a good fight, but don't forget the core. The core is you've got to have faith and a good conscience. And he says... Some having rejected. That means they got rid of their good conscience. And what has happened to their faith? Their faith has suffered shipwreck. They have destroyed their. So here's something very important. Faith must be maintained along with a good conscience. If you reject that good conscience, you're liable or likely to shipwreck your Damage your faith. What does it mean? You've got to have faith, but you also got to have a clear conscience. You've got to make sure your conscience is good, clean. The only way your conscience can be clean or clear is when you live right before God and before man. If you stop living right before God and before man, you have what is called a seared conscience or even a dead conscience. Meaning now you no longer are paying attention to that voice inside you that says, hey, this is right and this is wrong. So what is conscience? It's simply the voice in your spirit that tells you what is right and what's wrong. And if you sear your conscience, that means you're saying, I'm no longer going to listen to this. Shut up. Keep going. Sooner or later, you're going to have a dead conscience. Meaning no longer. There's nothing inside you anymore that's telling you what's right and what's and if you lose that, you're going to make shipwreck of your faith. So faith in God must be held with a clear conscience. Live right before God, before man. So he says, Timothy, you wage a good warfare, but don't forget the core. The core is love must come from a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith. Faith needs a good conscience. Don't lose that. And some having given up on their clear conscience, they've shipwrecked their faith. And then he says, he mentions two names. He says, of Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So as you go through First and Second Timothy, you'll read 
about these two men, Hymenius and Alexander. These were two men who uh, were against Paul. They even tried to harm him. And they were preaching uh, in the wrong things. They were telling people the resurrection is already over. So the guys, sorry, you missed it. They're all left behind. Resurrection is already over. So what did Paul do? He had to deliver them to Satan. It means two things. First, he had to uh, get them out of the fellowship. Or you would use that word excommunicate. Like, guys, please don't come to this church anymore. <laughs> You're more trouble than we can handle. So he had to get them out. And he also stopped providing spiritual oversight to them. It's like, okay, I'm no longer responsible for your spiritual lives. No more. So that means now the enemy is free to do, the devil is free to do whatever he wants. And hopefully they'll come back to their senses. He had to do that for one man in the Corinthian church. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 5. This man was, you know, living in sexual immorality. He was continuing on and he was not changing. And so he had to get him out of the fellowship. He said, you've got to put him out. But that man repented. So later on he says, okay, you bring him back. Show him love. Because he's now corrected himself. Right? So, so the key message here from chapter 1 is this. We must live and love out of a pure heart. A clear conscience or a good conscience. And sincere faith. Don't lose your conscience because that can shipwreck your Faith must be coupled, coupled, this life of faith must be coupled with a clear conscience. Keep your conscience clear. Do what is right before God and before man. Amen? Father, I just pray this morning, God, that, that as people, we will learn, Lord, to live and to love out of a pure heart. That there will be no wrong agendas, no wrong motives, no wrong intents in our hearts. And with a clear conscience that nothing in our conscience is going to tell us that there is something wrong. But our conscience will be clear, a good conscience. And of sincere faith. That our faith will be sincere. Without any pretense, without any falsehood, but genuine. And we learn to live this way, God. And Father, I just pray. For each of us, help us keep our hearts pure, our conscience clear, and our faith sincere, God. And out of that, let love come. Love for one another. Love for people outside that we meet, that we interact with. Let the love of God fill our hearts. We thank you, O God. This morning before we close, would you take a few moments and just say, God, give me a pure heart. Give me a clear conscience and help me to be sincere in my faith. Faith without pretense. Faith that is genuine in Jesus Christ. We're not doing anything to impress anybody. We're not doing anything to make ourselves look good, but it's sincere faith, genuine faith. If there's anyone here 
this morning and and you probably identify in some way with what Paul said and I, I lived a terrible life I was a persecutor a blasphemer and very violent man and and all of that and the list could be different things that he said I did out of ignorance I did out of unbelief I didn't know better I didn't believe better but then the good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners to you to save people like me and you people who have done wrong who have been wrong but he came to change us he came to forgive our sins he came to bring us into his own kingdom he came to make us sons and daughters of God Almighty. But then like the Apostle Paul, we need to also believe in Jesus Christ. So this morning, if there's anyone here, before we close, and you've never prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to save you, to forgive your sins, to become your personal Savior. He could be your friend's Savior. He could be somebody else's Savior. But how about your Savior? Being your Savior. If you've never personally asked Him, then I would like to lead you in a prayer this morning to do that. If you've never done it before and you'd like to do it, would you please say this, say this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive my sins. Wash me with your blood. Come into my life. Make me a child of God and help me to follow you the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us always in Jesus name Amen We trust that this message was a blessing to you We'd love to hear from you You can email us at contact at apcwo.org Also visit our website apcwo.org for additional resources Thank you for listening and God bless you.